Before we begin, I'd like to issue an apology on behalf of the show to Giorgio Moroder. In our uh, fake band in heaven episode, I said he was dead, but he's not in fact dead. He's not? No, he's still alive. Ah. I just assumed he was dead for some reason. Man, that episode was like eight months ago, too. This is a long due retraction. Yeah, I was getting really into Donna's summer recently. It's ironic because uh, Marauder co-wrote a uh, number one song in heaven with the band Sparks. Oh, uh, I love that song so much. It's amazing. But he wrote it while he was still alive. So it's kind of like, how would he know? So Alex's <laughs> retraction notwithstanding, we're here hanging out at um, the very drab and sterile Fortune Kit corporate interviewing headquarters. Yes. Where we are here to interview Nate Ruiz from uh, the format and fun and from his project, Nate Ruiz. Uh, so, yeah, Nate, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing wonderful. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm good. Dope. Having a great day, personally. Yeah, you know, no one ever asks us how we're doing. Oh, That's really? Strange. I was like, I, I've been thinking about this for a while. This is my first podcast. I'm going to say it's my first podcast ever. So I was like, how, am, like, how is this going to go about? Like, and I thought to myself, you have to be very, very nice to these people. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, so, you should just be so, mean. No. So when you guys asked how I was doing, I was like, I don't care how I'm doing. How are you doing? <laughs> You're doing the nicest possible version of the Bob Dylan thing where he flips the interview on the interviewer in like a combative way. Yeah. You're doing it in the way of like, how was your day? Yeah. <laughs> what did Sweet. you mean when you played at the Newport <laughs> Folk Festival? And plugged your guitar yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, asking the interviewer when they went electric. Oh, you started using that voice recorder? <laughs> yeah. Instead of writing it down on paper, why'd you go electric? Everyone was mad at him for going electric, but no one really cared when he went Christian. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. My like my introduction to Bob Dylan was uh, the, being a kid and like having to listen to all of his Christian records. Oh god. <laughs> and I think and I think like I probably subconsciously uh, thought that he was a Christian artist until I until I realized he had a rich back catalog. The same thing happened yeah. with, with me and Van Morrison too. It's like all all my favorite artists like around what was it like around the 80s like around the late 70s they all just decided to become Christian. Oh, it was the 80s. Yeah, definitely. They it would I, I think it was I think all those guys just did so much cocaine and were so <laughs> uh, like they, their souls were just like a like a desert. And they were just looking for anything. And the easiest thing to do would is, you know, just embrace faith really hard. Is to serve somebody. Is to serve somebody and sing about the, the man in the long black coat. And it was like, and like the, also the keyboards were like so clean at the time. They were so godly. Like, like that was like the time <laughs> of like God, godly keyboards and like, and like godly drum sounds. So like it just, and, and, and you could somehow like, there was a time in the seventies, I guess, where people started um, uh, like employing percussionists. And so yeah. you had a percussionist who didn't do anything other than play like the, the wind chimes. So you were like, yeah. okay, well, I, like I got nothing to do, but be religious now. Cause I got all the sounds. Yeah, Whenever exactly. um, me and Joel listen to Curtis Mayfield, we always just listen for the bongos, especially because there's just some guy like fucking probably coked out of his mind, just going on these like eight minute long songs. So good. It must suck to be the guy who plays the wind chimes because you can lose your job to the air. <laughs> the air can do your job for you. But it just doesn't have good time. If you have a, maybe a fan that's blowing at a certain like BPM. Uh, 
I don't know if I've read this up before, but uh, there was a there was a period in Wolf Parade when uh, Dante joined and Haji was still in the band. So we were a five piece band. It was guitar, keyboards, uh, bass, guitar, and modular synthesizer and drums. And Dante played, as well as guitar, played a floor tom and a set of wind chimes, which he would buy at Canadian Tire and destroy <laughs> over the course of a tour. And at one point. You know, like, I remember just seeing a wind chime sailing past my head because he hit them with a drumstick and uh, they were mic'd up. <laughs> and the floor, you know, the stage is shaking. So, and they had a mic on them. So, I think those Wolf Parade shows were just like there was just a constant jangle of wind chimes in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it <was> really cool. <laughs> are wind chimes chromatic, right? Or, they're, or are they're they set to like a certain key? <laughs> Yeah, so I don't that's know. gotta just be insane. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't get off my fucking uh, my F minor, F sharp minor wind chimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, they kind of sound like they're like uh, a full tone scale. That's yeah. what I would. Oh, okay. That's that's interesting. I guess. I was just thinking of like having a roadie who brings out like the D major ones and <laughs> dressed in a ninja it. suit, rolling it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, one time I was in Los Angeles for something and we and, and we were staying at one of those like hotels where I, I feel like nowadays it's only guys on YouTube that like live on this hotel, like in Vine on Vine Street or something like that. OK, and, yeah, um, yeah. You know what I'm Yeah, you, you know, it's like a weird corporate housing thing, but you know that like every single person that like is an influencer somehow like lives in that building. Yes. And um, and we were staying there. I don't remember what it was for, but we're going up the elevator and this there was obviously a guy who had just given this girl a vocal uh, lesson and um, and the halogen light was like making a buzzing sound. And he's like, this halogen light is in D. Most halogen <laughs> lights are in C. <laughs> <laughs> I always, and I always thought it'd be wild to like to like bring out <laughs> bring out a halogen light for like a song. Yeah, use that. <laughs> and smash it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Ma- Just inhale a bunch of mercury. <laughs> That's very punk. Imagine having the power to like detect what key everything was in. You you go insane. Like you you go mad. Yeah, That's I'm like, kind of glad I don't have that. Yeah, like perfect I, pitch. I, I, do you guys not know like all the people that like say they have perfect? I, I've met at least twenty people in my days who have just like I've got perfect pitch, and you can't. I I, I I'm like okay, cool. I don't want to like call you out on it. Like I don't fucking care. Cool. You yeah. Got pitch, yeah. Okay. I, I did. I know. I knew one person who like legitimately did have it. Who was like a violinist who was like really really good, and she would listen to commercials on TV and just be like, oh yeah, like A B flat A. You know, like she'd just say exactly the notes in like the jingle and stuff. Oh god, <laughs> that sounds annoying. That's I know. So annoying. It's almost too powerful of a skill to have. Actually, it's an A flat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. And and it has its own color. Yeah. Oh, that's even more faked than perfect pitch synesthesia. <laughs> like synesthesia. Kanye pretends to have. There's no fucking way Kanye has that, man. The people who have that are like messian, like serious composers and shit, not like a guy who's good at chopping samples. How do you think he designs those shoes though? I mean, he's hearing. <laughs> yeah. If he if he actually had it, then he would at least say this shoe is like a C sharp right here. Cuz they see you look sharp. <laughs> <laughs> So, Nate, I think the main thing that I wanted to talk to you about anyway is just uh, what you and I were talking about before of just like 
how interviews suck. Okay. I mean, great. This is awesome. This is like, this. nothing makes me happier than talking about how much interviews suck. Um, uh, I haven't done one in five years, so that should tell you just how much I love them. But I also haven't done anything in five years uh, either. So, <laughs> so it's kind of <laughs> like they go, they go hand in hand. But one of the reasons why I didn't, haven't wanted to do anything in five years is because I fucking hate interviews so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they're so, they're so painful. Everything about them, um, what we were talking about earlier was just like, even your standard interview where you, you're like, oh my gosh, like, I remember, um, we were going to get interviewed by Rolling Stone. So to me, that was like the coolest thing ever. And then we yeah. sat down for the, inter yeah, I mean, like, obviously, like I, I read it like growing up and then we sat down for the interview and it, it was honestly no different than a college like interview. And everybody asked like the same four questions. And, um, and then the other side of that, like, and then you're like, okay, I want someone to really ask me like, like I, I used to like listen to Weezer interviews um, back in like the mid '90s, and and be like, you know, like ask ask him about, ask him about like why like he he his like he's he went to Harvard like his leg is fucked up <laughs> like I want to know about his <laughs> fucked up leg, um, and they would just like never ask any good questions, um, and then like and then I lived that, and of course the opposite of that is like morning radio guy who's like I'll bet this is a question you've never been asked, and you're like. Oh, fucking what? And then it's like something like, um, like, do you fart? <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. And it's just like, it's like, I can't fucking, I can't fucking win. Like I, I, I'm up so early just to do this shit. And you want to talk about the dumbest shit. Like, it, have it, you ever it, been asked to ride the Sibian <laughs> by an interviewer? <laughs> no, I've, I've never been interviewed by Howard Stern. Oh man. That's the one you do want to get. Yeah. You're missing out. I know. I well, I my brother-in-law had been interviewed by him, and he was like a big Howard Stern head, so like, it like meant the world to him. But I, I never really got into it, so it, like, I don't know. Yeah, I can't imagine listening to that every day because it's like four hours, Jeez. and then they have an after show. <laughs> I guess if you're at work, it makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I would imagine you would get really tired of Howard Stern and Robin and is the after show Artie Lang um, or whoever's on there. Is the after show kind of like they do for like The Walking Dead or whatever, where it's like Chris Hardwick recapping the Howard Stern? <laughs> Pretty episode. much. I think they have Baba Booey and the producers like <laughs> damn. Re replaying clips of the show. I listened to the full show once, <laughs> or once or twice, because I was really into the prank calls they did when I was thirteen. Yeah. They did hundreds of prank calls, and then I went and like listened to the show when I had a bunch of time, and it's like four hours long, and most of it isn't that good. Yeah, that's brutal. We need to start having like Derek and Andrew do a fortune kit post show. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be amazing. That'd be incredible. Uh, did you guys? Did you guys? Did you guys get into how? Did, but like, like Dan, uh, yeah. like Charles, did you? Were you guys into it or not? No, I was. Not, I never even had like a phase of that, really. I'm Canadian, so I kind of like. I mean, I was aware of its existence, but I, I never. Uh, I don't. I don't think I ever really had access to it. And then by the time I was like, all the jobs I had, I was working in kitchens, so I just had to listen to like fucking three eleven and wait for my turn to put the Ramones <laughs> tape on. You know, like. <laughs> the The Canadian stuff. We I did. Who was? Oh my gosh, that the guy who Nardwar. No, not Nardwar. Yeah, no, Nardwar. Nardwar. Nardwar would be amazing. Oh, he's the best interviewer. Like he's he's just 
he'll dig up something from your past that's like kind of fun, but also like embarrassing and takes you down a peg, and, you know. But he's he's got he's got such a good heart. Have you been Have you been interviewed by Nardwar? Never. Uh, but one of my first live shows ever was uh, Nardwar's band uh, The Evaporators. That's uh, and was were they were they any good? Yeah, they're amazing. They're like a garage rock band, and his stage persona is just like. Just like a kid that drank like a giant super gulp cup full of you know like sugar. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> that that's so, that's just so like awesome! Bouncing off the walls like so, and and it was at a time I went and saw. It was like an all ages show, but the style at the time was either you wore like, uh, you know, like a wallet chain and and a and a wife beater, and you did kickboxing, and you sang about how you were never gonna drink. So that was that was one thing you could do, and the other thing you could do is do like a really terrible version of the Slint record with screaming. Um, so it was just so it's just really refreshing to go to a show and have this dude dressed in plaid, like just be like, "Is everybody ready to have fun?" Like, yeah, that's so it was, awesome. It was it was great. I, I like I I I'm too afraid. I, I'll watch Nardwar interviews and just be so blown away by what a great job he does interviewing people. And uh, I'm always hoping that whoever is on the whoever is being interviewed understands just like what what a gem they're getting by by getting to do this interview. And then I think like okay, there were like three years that were super hazy to me where I probably did like every interview ever. And yeah. I wonder if I'm like shit. Did I do a Nardwar interview? And if I did, I was probably such a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> so i so I'm, I'm too scared to ever search it to look, um, yeah. and and it's like and and like and it's too bad because now i'm like i'll watch it and i'll be like man i wish i like made music so that like maybe nardwar could like interview me or something <laughs> you should make an album called nardwar and then just nardwar really push over it. nardwar over here yeah, yeah nardwar yeah. call me uh, i want to get yeah. interviewed by him and turn it around in like break into his mom's house and steal his baby pictures <laughs> where you can see his penis and then just show those to him. I think Dan's already getting us started like, here. Be like, you you had a band called the evaporators. Yeah, totally. Oh my God. If you guys could get Nardwar on the show and just do an interview with, yeah, that, that should be like absolutely the, the, the goal is for you guys to interview Nardwar. That's actually a great idea. I like that idea. <laughs> I'm going to find out when he was conceived by calculating back from his birthday and then look at hotel and credit card records <laughs> to see where his parents were on that exact day. And we and can find security camera footage. We'll of interview his parents him having sex in the hotel and where show it, it to him. Yeah, we'll interview him on the bed where it happened. <laughs> yeah, it's still got the stains on it. It's a really nasty place. Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of interview, like Nardwar is kind of a dream interview, but I think you're right. Like most most interviewers are reading from your bio because your bio is essentially a list of talking points for journalists to ask you and then for you to respond. You know, so and that's what makes yeah, it so boring is they just get what they deserve by doing. Like they could just read the fucking press release and then write the thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. They usually just yeah. regurgitate back the same shit that's in there, kind of. My, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Dan. Oh, I was going to say, my, uh, the thing that I developed over the years for dealing with that is just twisting the interview into talking about whatever you want. So, Oh, for sure. If, if I feel, because 
Yeah, I don't mind. I personally don't mind doing interviews. Like, uh, you know, I've done some some of the better interviews I've done have been like, you know, like Laura Phillips, who we had on the show, is is an incredible interviewer. Like, like just kind of definitely pulling from like almost like seventies style, you know, the like deep dive into catalogs and stuff. But if I'm doing an interview and I feel like people are reading from the bio and I clock it, I will just start talking about Ukrainian fascism or, uh, you know, uh, uh, post, uh, post communist, uh, politics in Yugoslavia. And I'll just find a way to like nudge the conversation in that direction. <laughs> And I'll amuse myself for like 20 minutes and then it's over. Yeah, that's the way to go. So I'm seeing that Wolf Parade is a Canadian indie rock band formed in 2003 in Montreal. Is that true? That is true. It's as, uh, it's as true as the fact that uh, Banderites moved to Montreal in uh, 1952 as part of Canada's Operation Paperclip. <laughs> Nate, I'm seeing here that you were born on February 26, 1982, and you're an American singer-songwriter. Do you feel that you are best known as the lead singer of the indie pop band Fund and of the format? Um, uh, shit, I don't have anything to redirect it to. Um, I'm going to defer to Dan uh, about Ukrainian politics. Uh, you know it's not fun? Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Red Brown Alliance. There we go. See, <laughs> Nate's learning from the master here. Yeah. I know this is fuck. This is fucking amazing. Um, I I don't know whether to feel bad. I don't I don't know. I don't like in retrospect now. I don't feel bad for the interviewer as much, um, because I like it's from the top down. Like I I had met with like publicists uh, when we were like going through it even from our record label, um, that were just like, yeah, they don't fucking care. Like nobody cares. Nobody cares about any, any of the things that you want to talk about. Like just, and, and I feel like that's just like regurgitated from like the top down. So even exactly, if an interviewer, yeah, and, like, oh, it's, sorry, it's, it's, it, no, no, I just, I just feel like it, all they wanted, they, no one wants to fucking, they want the dumb questions and, and, um, and I don't think mo I think most people are just not like us who actually, if you like, care about something musically, like want to know in depth about um, about it. And so, like, it would be helpful if there was like a safe space where like musicians could go after they made an album where they like could like talk about stuff like that um, and not be like something like Pitchfork. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I think that's totally right. Like it gets back to what you were saying about like Weezer interviews of like, I want to hear the interesting shit, not the boring shit. But like, you're not the only one who felt that way. There's like this core audience of people who always felt that way. Um, and as a musician, that's who you're mainly making the music for. Uh, it is like, like you're kind of saying it's like the, the sort of corporate infrastructure that inserts itself in the middle to be like, no, just do this really quickly so we can make it like a press release and just put it out there. And like, I think that social media has kind of opened that up a bit, though, because yeah. you can just say the shit you want to say. And there's a certain core of people who will follow you and read it. And then there's a larger audience that won't necessarily follow you and check that out. But they'll like listen to the album on Spotify or whatever. You know, that's right. People almost no, like self segment sure. a little bit now. Yeah. No, I mean, I only I only got onto Twitter like um, like three or four months. Like, I don't know how long this this pandemic has been. But um, that's basically when I like like logged on and I only logged on because I wanted to send like snake and rat emojis 
to like politicians. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and now I find myself like posting pictures of my kids, which is like something that I have like begged my wife to like never do. But <laughs> I'm like, I'm, a, I'm like addicted to this shit now. Um, and I've, I've, I think I, I've learned, I'm like, oh fuck, like I've like wasted all my time. I feel like, the, like at least online, like there's, there are people where you can have like conversations about like the dumb shit yeah, that you exactly. wish that people would ask you. Yeah. And the people, yeah, exactly. The people who want to hear the stuff that you wished uh, Weezer was answering in those interviews are the people who are following you on Twitter anyway. So you can just cut out the magazine entirely, right? Totally. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, you, you'd think, but then now I'm, I'm surprised. Like my followers just like, they want to know the dumbest shit. And I'm just like, <laughs> I did similar yeah. experience in that. Like, you know, I, I did music first and then got online uh, and, and kind of had to be pushed into going online but now yeah i was talking with uh Davoika last night my partner and operators bandmate um and we were just like twitter has made kind of your basic bio focused interview completely obsolete especially during the pandemic like who's gonna want to read a, a like a four paragraph sort of sanitized interview when you can just go right to the source and see like nate like can see pictures of your kids or see you posting snake emojis you know that's it's a much better much more effective way of like connecting with your fans than talking to somebody who doesn't really want to be there and you don't want to be there and yeah yeah i mean it's i, I i'm like i i only want to get back into like making music just just so that like i can i can be like okay cool i know who my people are yeah yeah i think it's interesting too to think about like when i think of how i want to phrase this but like i almost feel like you like, oh, you know, a lot of times on this show, we've talked to a bunch of people about all the kind of things that suck about the professional music industry in general. Like, like, you know, Dan's talked about Wolf Parade's experiences and we talked to like Zola Jesus and uh, Keith's talked about this a bunch uh, with Every Time I Die. But I think you kind of ended up in a more like you at some point kind of elevated into a more highly corporatized area of the music industry. And I feel like you've probably had more shitty experiences than even everyone else we've talked to is my guess. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I'm, ca- I'm I, well, curious about that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I, well, I don't, I don't know because it's one of those things where it's like suddenly, suddenly you you, you get paid and then suddenly, and then everybody's paying for everything for you. Um, it, like th- those, like those long drives, as much as you love them, like in a van, um, <clears throat> that is like, that's, that's like that's some like backbreaking type of stuff, you know. Um, yeah. Or, or all just just what it means to for most musicians. Um, that's that's like it's re- it's much more rewarding. Um, but uh, y- well, yeah, the, yeah. The, all the major shit like is why I don't do it anymore. Did you? It's not. It, was, I- it wasn't all. It wasn't all the like the exciting like. It, or it wasn't the, the like the things that that I was excited about when I was like in my twenties, um, which was just like going across the country and loading in your own stuff and doing all of that stuff. It was it was everything after that. It was like the, it was the interviews. Um, it was like just nonstop. It was like three straight years of of um, just like having to like be something. Uh, that I, 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 I just don't think that I, I, I just like, I, I realized somewhere in the middle of it that like, oh shit, like that's, that's not who I am. That's never, actually never who I was. So like, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. That's what George Harrison did. 
after they got like almost killed in Thailand or something for insulting the king. 1966. Yeah. Just decided they weren't going to tour anymore. They weren't going to do any shit. And they didn't have to. No, they could just... They made more money after that. Yeah, they could just make children's music at home. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, Alex, are you are you like a big Beatles fan? Yeah. And then, Dan, you're like not a Beatles fan. I, I like the Beatles. I like some of the Beatles. Dan makes a convincing argument that they're the greatest children's band of all time. I, I when he when I read that at one point I was like fuck like this is like this this was my favorite band ever and now I'm never going back again. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> I think both things the- are true though because like Strawberry Fields Forever, uh, you know stuff like that. Some of that's just like the best pop music of all time, but then really goofy Paul McCartney songs like Obla D Obla Da that shit is pretty fucking like kindergartny, you know. Well, Strawberry Fields Forever is about being a kid. Through the lens of LSD, which really does help you get in the mindset of like a four or five year old if you want to. That's true. So you can like understand it when you are four or five year five years old or you're on acid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I did acid, I had this spontaneous recollection of a computer we had when I was four <laughs> that I hadn't thought about for what 14 years what kind of, what kind of computer was it it was a dos computer big bulky white one and it had a bunch of games pre-installed on it do you remember any of the games i don't i might have to do dmt for that yeah, yeah. You to, you're gonna have to do ayahuasca to remember what was on the dos computer yeah, one aspect of that computer is going to come back for each different drug you do yeah it's like a jigsaw has, puzzle. Has anyone here ever d- done ayahuasca? No. I have never done ayahuasca. I had a friend who went to an ayahuasca, a uh, friend who's a journalist went to ayahuasca retreat and simultaneously was like, this whole thing is a giant grift by a bunch of like weird white people. <laughs> oh, totally. And, uh, and also, uh, I think almost got kicked off the first uh, ayahuasca, whatever the comp, not a compound, but a center got kicked out for for just generally having bad vibes. (laughs) 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 I would, by the way, I would consider those like the best vibes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this person has excellent vibes, but uh, I mean, like those, any anti ayahuasca vibes are my vibes. Yeah. Yeah, um, ayahuasca is definitely like the drug of choice for like upper middle class Brooklynite like yoga instructors to do with their spiritual guide once the yoga studio closes for the night or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, your chances of having um, dreadlocks uh, as a white guy def- like definitely raise exponentially. If, yeah. If, if, <laughs> yeah. And having grown up around a lot of hippies uh, in kind of a remote rural environment. Uh, I'm not surprised to hear that like there are some opportunistic dudes with dreadlocks just carving out little little kingdoms for themselves down there as like <laughs> as tri- you know like your trip guru. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> what a nightmare! You try to be like a trip guru with just like a normal white guy haircut, and you keep getting passed over for those guys. And you're like, well, <laughs> if I'm serious about this profession, I gotta go full dreadlocks. 
I want to be a trip guru for people who are smoking really strong weed for the first time. And kind of that'll be that'll be my grift. <laughs> oh my so god! So it's all gonna be like you seventeen could, like, year olds. Could, uh, yeah, I'll it's gonna be come, me. I'll come loaded with. I'll just have <laughs> snacks and uh, like a flash drive full of like really good movies. You know, in college, I always thought that weed dealers should start offering offering like package deals where you get like an eighth. And a couple records of like Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, and you get a bag of chips, and you can get like the premium package, and you know you got Donnie gotta, Darko. Yeah, you got exactly <laughs> yeah, Fight Club. You got to upsell. Yeah, uh, wait, wait uh, what's the what's the, the 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 drug one that that like all my weed friends watched? Um, Requiem for ass, a Dream, ass movie. Fear yeah, and yeah, Loathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fear and Loathing. Oh, yeah, no, Requiem for a Dream. It was like like. Oh, that's all they would do is watch Fight Club and Requiem for a Dream like, over <laughs> it's and over again. the most nihilistic that movie fucking movie. It's like, like Reefer Madness yeah. filtered through Gen X. It's, uh, yeah, it's Reefer Madness, but for amphetamines. My, my, if you like, try it once, you'll die. I never smoked weed because, like, my best friends did it for me, and, I, and, and then they all, like, they, they would all go up to me and be like, you're making music, but are you really making music? <laughs> and I was like, well, you guys don't, do you guys, like, you guys don't literally don't do anything. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I think out of us three, Alex is the only one who's a weed guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not a weed guy. I'm always hooting on it. <laughs> I was hooting on that weed. I'm, I, I'm toying with the idea of becoming a weed guy because it's legal here and it's super easy to get. But then I remember how weed affects me and I... I I just I don't want to be that person. Yeah, I, just, I think I just it's want fun to do sometimes. psychedelics. Just psychedelics, and that's it. I like just like listening to music and smoking weed, but I don't want to talk to anyone. And the only time it ever comes up is socially, and socially is when I don't want to do it because then I'm just gonna be stupid and forget what we're talking about. Yeah. So I just like never end up doing it. But I think I really should just like buy like really weak gummies and shit, and just like do that when I'm mixing a song or something. Like that's fun. But I just never feel like doing it. No, I mean, if I do weed, the only thing I end up doing is like waking up the next morning and then Googling like, is this going to stay forever? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like every single time. And it always lasts like it lasts for like four days. It's, it's terrible. I've, I've become an alcoholic just to like just so that I never become a weed guy. Hey, Nate, you don't look so good, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you doing the Maureen Dowd thing? Wait, what does Maureen Dowd do? She took a 100 milligram chocolate bar, just ate the whole thing oh, her first time, and she like saw the devil and was just like on the floor. I mean, in the with fetal me, position. yeah, I, I definitely like I get a little restless. Like I'll, I'll have like a little tiny piece of of like a gummy or Jolly Rancher, and then I'll be like, uh, it's like it's been five minutes, this shit hasn't kicked in, so I'll take like a bigger bite, and then um, and then I'm sitting in the studio being like. What are we ordering? Everything is moving so slow. I'm speaking right now, but I'm, but it's, but this is taking forever. And and then like someone has to put me to bed. <laughs> I'm that guy out of like the, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like the herb who like out of every movie, basically. I was going to suggest that ironically stuff. that that's a good concept for a song, but I actually think it's legitimately a good concept for a song. The guy who, who takes a small part of a weed gummy and it's just gone. One toke over the line. I saw Van Morrison do Astral Weeks on it. It was I, like, I, yeah, I got to watch Van Morrison do Astral Weeks like from front to back on on some sort of edible. And the only thing I took away was like, man, he's a he's a real fucking dick to his band. <laughs> <laughs> Notorious dick to his band. Just the fucking he, most the famous worst. people are. Yeah, 
Or people who are just like a guy and they don't have a, a band. It's just people filling in. Yeah, there's no personal Except relationship Except for Brian there. Wilson. He's very nice. Yeah, it's yeah. probably because he was like abused. So he has like... Yeah, he was pushed around by yeah. Dennis and yeah. Yeah, it's a bunch of 30-year-old guys are we talking who about, are bro? like smile obsessives and they're <clears> just very nice to him. Um, I've done, I, I did a live, sh- a, a, like live DVD where I did three songs with Brian Wilson and his band. Nice. Holy shit. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Um, and those guys are just the biggest fucking Brian Wilson nerds. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm like, I thought I was a big Brian Wilson nerd. And it's like, no, wait for the guys from the Wonderments. Like, no one knows. Like, they know every single, they know, he, he obviously is, doesn't know <clears throat> or isn't, isn't there for um for a lot of it and they just like figure it all out that's kind of what you need when you're as old as he is or like same goes for like paul mccartney where he's too old to actually hit the pitches he needs someone like backing him up who's on key yeah the the wonderment guys take it to a whole different level but when i went in and did this song with brian wilson like they they reached out they were like oh brian wilson's gonna do an album and he's asking for all these guest singers to do it like we wrote this song we think you'd be really good if you you came and sang it so i came i met with like brian's co-writer and he was much more talkative and brian was sitting right there and obviously i've read enough beach boys books and was like a beach boys diehard so i was like whatever like brian wilson you don't need to fucking say a thing um and we then they put me in the booth and they're like, okay, you know the song, like start singing the song. So I start singing the song, and um, and Brian Wilson's just like, you're flat. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> That's great. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck this guy. Like, I'm gonna show Brian Wilson <laughs> what the fuck is up. So I start like, I'm I'm like, okay, I'm just getting warmed up, Brian Wilson. Like, let's do this. So then I I like started singing and <clears throat> he got really into it and he stood up and the next thing you know, Brian Wilson is writing like 20 different harmonies. Oh shit! Um, and he's having me sing every single one of them, and he's singing into like the talkback mic and being like, "Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this?" Um, and I'm the worst person ever with harmonies, but I, I like I had never tried so hard to listen to someone in my entire life. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's awesome. And and it, it it was just so amazing to hear like what Brian Wilson. It like once the music started, I've never seen anyone so engaged and also just so good at what they do that's amazing that's got to be the only place he feels comfortable i bet you know entirely is is writing and and creating that was yeah that was kind that was kind of like the takeaway that i got from from the whole entire thing because he really was just kind of like i don't care i don't care um and then the music started and then he was like you you know what you sound like my brother carl and i was like holy shit that's the only fucking thing that uh, like that I would could ever possibly want to hear, and uh, next thing you know, I got a signed um, surfboard that my parents like have in their kitchen. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> it's and uh, and then he asked me to do a few songs with him live, and and um, and all those like Brian Wilson guys that play in his band, and he's he's like he's so nice to everybody, he's so nice to all of them, and they just care so much about like the Brian Wilson legacy, and making sure that those songs sound. Um, as special as like they do when you hear them the first time. So I was, I was, it was like one of those amazing moments. And I had asked to do this, uh, really obscure or kind of obscure song called hold on dear brother from, uh, Carl and the passions. 
And, um, and so like, obviously like they're all nerds. So they all like lit up and were so excited to do <laughs> like this, like this, like song that, that they never got to play. That's right. awesome. That's an incredible experience. I got to see them do Pet Sounds in full live. Um, oh, nice. In like 2015, 2016. It was great. I mean, my man, he's, he's still got it. And they, then they like, they, they back him up so well. Like, I think that's a show like Mike Love. Who wants to fucking see Mike Love? I don't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I want to see him without his hat on. (laughs) Take the hat off partner. I'm pretty sure I saw a really bad version of the Beach Boys when I was very young, like five or six in Vancouver. And, uh, obviously no Brian Wilson would have been eighties. So. Probably, well, probably yeah, that John would be Stamos. Late 80s. Was John Stamos yeah. in that one? I can't remember. All I remember is it was it was like a, some kind of weird festival with like the Beach Boys and I think the Nylons too. <laughs> it was not good. That was an insane area of culture because the Beach Boys were on Full House, and they were also on Home Improvement. And probably other shows too. They and they that was after Kokomo, and they just had this enormous cultural presence all of a sudden, even though Brian Wilson wasn't involved. It was just Mike Love and Carl, and Al Jardine, and like, then that went away. It was very weird. Yeah, they would just show up. They would just be on a sitcom. Yeah, I know you and me have talked about that, Alex. How like I hadn't realized before that. Kokomo was like late 80s, right? Like that's... It that's was like, like eight, 88 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. It was like way, way after. And it was just like a weird second life for them, but off a really shitty song. It's an okay song. It's very stupid. It's really annoying, though. And man. I hate Mike Love. There's a, a part in there where Carl is doing a falsetto toward the end of the chorus, and there's like a little peak into what made the Beach Boys great. There's just like a little echo of it in there, and then it goes back to Mike Love. <laughs> just the worst, just the fucking worst guy ever. Absolutely. Every And every band's had a Mike Love. Like, you, the, the goal in being in a band is just to never fucking be Mike Love. Yeah, or to ide- immediately identify the Mike Love and neutralize him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Uh... <laughs> I was I was just thinking about you know like like bands where you know it's a higher it's a bunch of hired guns and uh, and and you're backing up a legend or whatever. But are you guys familiar with the Buddy Rich uh, clams tape? Yes, of course. No, no. Uh, you can you can what is it? You can take Manhattan and get the fuck out of here. That's right. That's so so. Buddy Rich is on tour in what what is it? It's like late sixties, maybe early seventies. Uh, mm-hmm. or maybe it's mid sixties, but he's got a group of hired guns and he's just chewing the band out every night. So one of them records him and I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Uh, <laughs> shut that fucking door. I'm up here working these balls off, trying to do someone a favor and you <laughs> motherfuckers are sucking all over this joint. What kind of trumpet section do you call this? Saxophones? You gotta be fucking kidding me. How dare you call yourselves professionals? Assholes. You're children. Where the fuck are you? Trombonist. You got your fucking horn so deep in the bell, we don't even need a band. You afraid you won't be heard? Everybody can hear your fucking clams out there. They don't need a mic for that. 
You're taking up too much time. You're blowing, blowing your brains out. And what do you play? Fucking clams. One more clam and this whole band is fucking through. <laughs> Try me. I'll put you on the bus to Detroit. <laughs> it yeah, goes on and it's on. It's so funny. It's, man, <laughs> he was no, just There were no, no beards. He, yell, he yelled about someone having a beard in the band. That's right. Yeah. He flips <laughs> out about their beards, their sideburns. Apparently, apparently he was such a dick that people used to call him or call his wife after he'd passed away and be like his buddy there. And she'd be like, no, he'd passed. And they'd be like, OK, good. I was just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wasn't that good to merit being like that. He was a drummer, especially when you're a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> Even the best drummer in the world. You're a drummer. True, but it was his yeah. band. He was playing lead drums. Yeah, you got lead drums and then you got rhythm drums. Yeah, your buddy Rich had lead drums. I guess you could be lead drums if you have like toms that are tuned to every like semitone. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you're just surrounded by like twelve toms and you're just moving around. I think Neil Peart tried for that. Oh, he he literally did have something like that. Yeah, you're right. Like even a couple octaves of just like shit behind him. King. He was R. lucky King. they blew up right away. After Fly By Night came out, yeah, you didn't have call. to lug that shit around. Yeah, you're playing like small venues where you're like loading in yourself and you just like have like <laughs> fucking a separate van full of fucking drum shit. I wonder what the artistic progression of Rush would have been had they not blown up and had to load their, load their own shit. Like would Getty be playing Moog Taurus pedals and like a Prophet and a double neck bass, you know? Would they have just... They probably would have hired more people. Yeah. It would be a seven-piece band. <laughs> so it would just be broken social scene. They would, have, yeah. they would have just jumped 20 years later in Toronto history. Oh, I was going to say, James Brown was notoriously horrible to his band. He wouldn't, let, uh, he wouldn't let them do drugs or do anything cool. But then, on his own time, he was doing PCP and raping women. Goof. A lot of people who are nasty Oy. to their band. I'm pretty. I think the guy. I don't know about the raping, but I think Kevin Rowland from the from Dexy's Midnight Runners was like the same exact way. Oh yeah, he was a notorious prick. I didn't know, yeah, know he was, that. He used to be so mean to his band, and, and no one could do drugs, and no one could do anything like that. And then like I think he was on the side, like just like a pretty bad drug addict too. I feel like you got to have at least two hits before you can have an ego. You'd be really totally. surprised. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Played with a lot of... <laughs> the key is to have the ego from the beginning and just be a dick your whole life. That's I think some is... people literally, like, there was... I don't know if this is still a thing, but in the early 2000s, like, around, you know, when when dance punk and, like, hot... Like, the Hot Hot Heat era, like, even yeah, pre, yeah, yeah, yeah. pre-LCD sound system, I, I feel like a bunch of people thought that was the way to do it. Is that, you know, you're opening first of five and you roll in and you're just a complete asshole to everybody. <laughs> and yeah. that's what's going to make you uh, shoot up the ladder. So you know? exhausting. It's so exhausting. The British press. It's, fucking oh, it's stuck in a dressing room with those people. Oh, It's, it's honestly the British the press had a, a horrible relationship with that for a while where they were just tacitly encouraging... The they worst behavior from every new band. Alex, oh, you mean, they love that. You mean yeah. like the Libertines, that kind of that, yeah, that's, that era? Yeah, that's exactly like, what yeah. it was. I think it goes yeah. back to even Oasis, though, because like Oasis was told by, is it like Alan McGee or whatever from Creation, who was like, you guys should act like assholes as like a bit, and it's going to pay off. And then he was right, you know? 
Like, <laughs> he was. My, I don't remember where they were playing the show, but they had to take a boat. I don't know if they're going to like France or somewhere else to play their first show out of England or whatever, but they just intentionally caused a scene to get arrested so they couldn't play the show to make big, big headlines. And it Amazing. all completely worked, you know? <laughs> so I think yeah. that Oasis era is when a lot of that shit got, you know, into the bloodstream of like British music press, you know? I, be- I bet it was the fucking boat from Dover to Calais, which is like like a passenger ferry. <laughs> yeah. And I've been That's on that boat funnier. so many fucking times. <laughs> like you drive on and you get off, you get upstairs. It's just like br- like British misery surrounding you. Like, <laughs> oh my god, duty free like, shop. And, and the, like, what are you gonna do? You gonna flip over some old lady's congealed uh, baked beans tray? You know, like. It's pathetic. <laughs> that that was like that was the time that was absolutely the time like the libertines and then all they would do was they would just get the most press ever and and I would be like what, I I've never even heard like a fucking song and and the British press was so dumb all they wanted to do was like tell you know everybody that this band was the best band just because they acted like Oasis. Are they a good? I I can't think of a single Libertine song. I liked them when I was in high school, which is the time that they were like you know like two thousand four, two thousand five. I liked them, but that's because I liked every band like that, like the Strokes, and all. they were just like the British Strokes uh, with better lyrics but worse ability to play their instruments. Ah, okay. All those yeah. bands make me nauseous. Yeah, Claxons. That was another kind of thing. Oh yeah, I like their first album actually. Yeah, not bad. The Future Heads. Yeah, it's really. Those uh, guys are more generic to me. That was just kind of like garage rock, I think. Yeah. There need to be more bands with brothers fighting. Yes. How come there hasn't been a reprisal of that? Everyone switched to the um, uncle nephew band structure around 2010. <laughs> so there's not as many. They don't fight though. That's exactly. The there's no fights anymore. You don't really want to fight with your uncle. It's weird that they're so good-natured, because Barry Gordy, there's another notorious prick. That's his son and grandson. <laughs> wait, wait, L- LMFAO was a nephew-uncle band? Yeah. Yeah. What? Really? Yeah. And same thing with Migos. <laughs> One of the guys in Migos is the uncle of the other dude, even though they're Stop. about the same age. No. Yeah, yeah, seriously. It's real. That's, That's what uncle, I'm saying. We're living in that nephew-uncle era. Sweet. <laughs> I mean, like this is like this is amazing news to me. Like I'm gonna spend the rest of the night looking it up, look, looking this up. Joe Strummer was Mick Jones's uncle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the guys in Green Day are married to each other. Nate, you need to find either a nephew or an uncle you have and start a new project. I mean, I don't have, I don't, I don't fucking have any of that. My son, like, I guess my son could be in a band. Mark Ronson is, is, is my, uh, is my brother-in-law. So I guess like, Ooh, that'd be his can, uncle. Yeah. So yeah, they, they could do like go. their own, they could do the, they could do their own thing. I'm, they, they like, they kind of work on shit on the side and I'm always kind of like looking at them when like, cause I don't play an instrument. So uh, I write everything in my head and, and I usually like have to go to someone and like tell them how to play something. But like sometimes like he'll come over and start playing the piano and then I'll see Levon like run over to him and I'll be like, oh shit, are they trying to, they're trying to do something behind my back? They're trying to cut you out. They're trying to cut they you are. out of the Uncle deal, Matthew man. Band, that would be great. They're going to write Uptown Funk too. Exactly. It's gu- uh, yeah, they're guaranteed success with that. that familial relationship. <laughs> totally. They should make more funks. You should, um... Be proactive 
and get your son uh, tied up in some kind of bureaucratic hell of your own creation where you make him sell all the rights to everything he does to you right now. I've already been thinking about that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've thought about that. We like wrote a song for my wife's birthday the other day, and he was singing it, and it's kind of like has like a like a pop punk type of vibe. And I was like, man, this kid's this kid's got something. I I need to make sure that it only like that I only profit off of it. Yeah. <laughs> How can I exploit this child before <laughs> anyone else can? I mean, like I was like, I've got Twitter now, so like. I can I can make this happen, but I can't let him get ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, you're opening for him. <laughs> that was like, well, Jeff Tweedy like would like always like have, his son like started playing drums for him or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, like really? in their like side project thing. Yeah, not in Wilco, but like they're just like they have like a. I think it's just Jeff Tweedy's solo project. I'm pretty sure, okay. where his son just plays with him. I'm like I've, 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 I I think my son's ideas are terrible. That's the other thing though. So I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, kids are well known for that. Little kids have some of the shittiest ideas you can imagine. Yeah, just, just the dumb worst. shit. Really pathetic stuff. Terrible at art, too. Just embarrassing. You should do the thing that Bob Marley did where you just have, like, a bunch of spider baby clones of yourself. And they all make the exact same type of music as you. Yeah, like a familial franchise. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean... I don't, I, I just don't see the talent, honestly. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm proud of, I'm more proud of them not being talented than, than being talented because, um, the, the family that I married into is like, is like a long lineage of, of like, like my wife's stepdad was like the, wrote all the songs in Foreigner. Um, whoa. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and then my, you know, my brother-in-law wrote like Uptown Funk and, and I'm just like, fuck, no, like, no, like the, I, I only learned about Fail Child from being online and I'm just like, nope, not doing this fucking shit. Not a chance. <laughs> like he cannot, he's, my son is not being a DJ. There's just a zero fucking percent chance that he's ever going to get near a turntable. <laughs> I think what you need to do is encourage him to be really into music so that once he's a teenager and he rebels against you, it's the main thing he won't do. Yes, sir. That's the great idea. It's interesting how few musical dynasties there actually are. Yeah. There's the Marleys and then what else? The, Z the Zappas. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Dweezil Zappa. Yeah, you have <laughs> some people like that who are just sort of continuations of their dad. They're just sort of part of their dad's um, legacy. Oh, you got the Lennon thing, too. Yeah. 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 He had two sons who were just not really that good. Well, there is, but, one, there is one exception, which is, of course, Jacob Dylan, a far superior songwriter. <laughs> One Headlight's a great song. <laughs> One Headlight's a great song. Is yeah. it um, David Bowie's son who directed the Warcraft movie, I think? Uh, I'm not sure if he did that, but he did Moon with Sam Rockwell, which is actually a I, fucking great movie. Yeah, I heard that's a great movie. Um, and he did another movie called uh, CQ that's like about androids and sci-fi. David Cronenberg's son, also a pretty good director, directed uh, Antiviral. What didn't the guy who did like Mandy or whatever didn't wasn't his dad someone big too? Yeah, uh, that's my friend Panos. His dad is George P. Cosmatos, who did uh, Rambo, the sequel, Rambo Two. So clearly, 
um, the director thing is different. Yeah, the but director the musician, thing seems like it. It's Sofia Coppola, I guess. The director thing seems yeah. to pass down. And then if you're a musician's kid, what you want to do is get into film, clearly. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to make the next Warcraft movie, make sure you get into film. That's what your son should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I fucking I don't I don't watch movies, so this is going to be really impossible. I know me neither, dude. It's too like I the, the whatever. Are we supposed to be talking about shit like this? Uh, we can talk about whatever. <laughs> <laughs> there are no rules. There are no rules. Guys, this, is can, the, this is the interview of your dreams, my friend. <laughs> guys, can I talk about how I don't watch movies and how it makes everyone in my family very very sad for me? Um, They're too goddamn long. They are. They are exactly, dude. I'd rather watch the same TV show I've already seen three times <laughs> than invest in a movie that I know is going to be good. I, that's that's what I'm saying. My wife, like, she's like, wait, you really want to watch? Like, when this whole the whole quarantine started, I was like, I just want to feel comfortable. Can we please just watch Party Down? And she was like, I'm not fucking watching this for, like, the seventh time since we've been together. Like, this is, <laughs> I, I can't do this. No, that's what and, you should uh, do, because then you can do something else while you're You can, like, half-assedly watch it. While you're on like Twitter or something. Exactly. That's what I, I try and tell her that too. But like, and now she's like rewatching Gossip Girl, but, um, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to watch Gossip Girl, you know? That's female behavior. Guys. Now this show's just turning into like a uh, family advice for Nate. <laughs> okay. Look, here's what you got to do with your son. Here's what you got to watch with your wife. Yeah. Here's how to make uh, money with uncle magic. Yeah, that's true. Dude. Oh my God. I, I do think that I, I do believe that I can like, I can probably dupe my son into signing a contract and somehow get his uncle to do it too. <laughs> and if you guys just like, if you guys like, maybe you guys can send me some beats, anything, and I'll just like get him kind of on it. And there we go. And then you're going to, this is the, your beginning of the pathway of being a mogul. Yes. Yes. I'll cut and I'll cut you guys in like three percent. All right. Well this better be a Sweet. pretty successful song. <laughs> yeah, top of it, the sequel. And they Downtown have to say funk. that in the song. Like the the hook has to be Uptown Funk Two, da 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 da. Uptown <laughs> Funk Two. I mean that's what we need right now is an Uptown Funk Two. Well you better get your son on it. He's <laughs> there's so many jokes that I want to make right now that I'm just not gonna do. <laughs> How old is your son? Just, He's three. Okay. Well, yeah, of course he'll sign the contract. He doesn't He doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Depending his, on whether he way, can his, sign. Can he his sign? Pitch is, his pitch is so bad. <laughs> like, um, so I don't know. Like, we'd have to use some pitch correction for sure. That's even better. Just kind of go like a T-Pain route with it. <laughs> yeah, dude, I think my uh, my takeaway here is though... I don't know, man. I think I hope that you at least feel kind of like empowered through Twitter and shit that hopefully you can uh, enjoy music again by avoiding the things you hated about it before or whatever. I, I think that helps. I actually I, I, I actually do think that that helps. Um, I think the Twitter the Twitter thing has been um, has been great because you're like, OK, well, these are all right. These are my freaks. Like, all right, I'm going to roll with these like weirdos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, this, I mean, especially I, 
I think all of the stuff we were talking about, about like terrible interviews and stuff that we've talked about in the, in the past of just the, the sort of untenable ridiculousness of the music industry. I think it was always headed in this direction, but like the pandemic accelerated everything by five years and just really exposed how kind of irrelevant, like doing press tours like you, um, like you did for those three years. It's, it's just pointless now. And I think that's kind of liberating for a lot of people. I know, I know it totally is for me. Like I would much rather make jokes about, I don't know, central European village oafs on Twitter with people that like my band than talk about, you know, a bio or an album. Yeah. And honestly, as, as, as a fan, I, I just, I think that that's so much more rewarding too. Um, I always, I always, it's definitely more fun. Yeah, it's, well, it's way more fun, but I always had a thing where, like, okay, how much do you want to let people in on? And, and in retrospect, I, I'm just like, who fucking cares? Like, just honestly, just just be yourself and, and like, you know, the mo- more times than not, they're not going to care who you who you are. And we, we obviously see that with a lot of, like, musicians nowadays. Yeah. But, um, but, like, and if someone wants to, like, know kind of, like, your weird quirks or why you're, like, into fucking like fantasy basketball, like then like more power to them. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's sort of what I meant earlier of like people will just self-select into what they care about anyway. If they don't give a shit about that stuff, then they're just going to listen to Spotify and they'll see when you put something new up on there, you know, but if they do care about it, then they'll engage with it. And, uh, yeah, you don't need to worry about that much shit. You know what I mean? I used to think like, Oh, how can they like relate to me if they don't think that I'm like constantly crying? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's like uh oh, no like who, like most people like don't th- the, I, I i'm realizing that that like that's that's probably me like projecting onto all of my favorite artists yeah <laughs> i think too like I, I don't know this is my perception anyway but i feel like there's like this trend of art like i'm thinking of things like radiohead or queens of stone age or whatever of like these bands who came up in the 90s who they needed like a large label to take them to prominence. But yes. then all those kind of bands, once they got that prominence, they all dropped those labels. Cause it was like, now we have the audience. We don't need the fucking label, you know? Yeah. The label is the vehicle that gets you to your people or whatever. And then, you know, after you peek out, you're going to shed casual fans. And what you're left with is your folks, your people. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and I will I never mean, stop being a casual fan of Radiohead. <laughs> I've listened to Creep over a hundred thousand times, and I've never heard a second of any of their other songs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, major labels—they—they they seem. I, I mean, I, I'm like bound to a contract from one, and I think they hate me because at the very peak of everything, I was just like, "No, I'm totally done with this shit." But, um, but they're—they seem. They, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit clueless, but they seem completely irrelevant, like, nowadays. That's my impression, too, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you would know better than me by being closer to it, but it does seem to me that way. I mean, I, 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 like, I, don't, I don't know, I, and I also just don't know. We were always waiting kind of in the middle of it, and I, I guess when, when, um, when I had, like, all the big songs, it was kind of right at the very end of when people were also buying music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I released my solo album and, uh, this was like three years later. And then suddenly it was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're going to get like, 
this many downloads, you're still going to be like in the top five, like billboard chart. And I'm like, I sold this many albums uh, like 15 years ago in my other band, like on the opening yeah. week. Numbers and like, just plummeted. Yeah. And some, and somehow like I, I sold like this many and, and like, and I'm in the top five, like that's fucking, that's crazy. That's why they've started to include Spotify streams in the billboard chart in order to pad the numbers. Like, yeah, they really scrambled to, uh, rejig the metrics, you know, like it's, it's totally, totally maybe 90% lower physical sales. What are the charts look like right now? That's a good question. We should do a, a chart review every episode. Is it? The Hot 100. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we go through all 100 every week. And then if we have time, we talk to the guests. Harry Styles. The <laughs> Baby has a new song called Rockstar. Seems like people should stop making songs DaBaby. called Rockstar for a while. There's like one every year. Yeah, there's year. been quite a number of those. Blinding Lights, The Weeknd. I heard that one. It was okay. Is uh, One Margarita uh, on there? I think when we looked at it, it was like in the top 20 to 30, so I would guess it's in that range. I don't see it. Got some Taylor Swift. Got some Little Mosey. Got some Dua Lipa, who was recently posting some um, inflammatory uh, uh, nationalistic shit about Greater Albania. I agree with that. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Greatest Albania, From the Danube to the Aegean Sea, Albania. That's right. That's right, Albania on five. <laughs> Albania on five C's. Uh, Pop Smoke featuring Fifty Cent and Roddy Rich at number thirty with the Woo. Wow, I'm also surprised that Fifty Cent is in that equation. I'm glad he's on there. I miss him. He needs to yeah. reboot uh, Blood in the Sand. Yeah, he needs a new time game. for Blood in the Sand too. Juice World is on there. I thought he died. He has like a posthumous album that just came out, so that's why. He's on there a bunch of times. It's pretty impressive. Maroon 5 is a band that seems to perpetually be on the on, on, on this chart, and yet, I don't know. I, I mean, get the impression that they're essentially a solo project at this point. Yeah. It just seems like it's Adam Levine doing whatever he... Like, it's not like... It's kind of like Fall Out Boy where they had the trajectory where they're less and less of a band and more of like a songwritery thing, you know? Yeah, what is, I mean... Oh, I've, sorry. I've, 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 I, no, I've... I've, I've I I I I I'm I'm well versed in the Maroon Five stuff. I I did uh, something on like two. I wrote a song for them like two albums ago, and it was literally uh, fuck it, whatever. It was just me like one night being like, okay, like to the producer, I'm gonna like just sing something into the microphone, uh, and then let's have dinner, and I'm gonna go. <laughs> and, <that's>, <laughs> and then and then the, like and then we then then that was a song on their album. Wow. Was it yeah, moves like the, Jagger? It was not moves like Jagger. Um, oh, but damn. Uh, But. But uh, but I know I know a lot of people in that band and uh, and um, and they're very talented. So it's kind of I mean, those first few albums, like for what they were, it's just like, that's cool, man. Like, yeah, totally. why not? Songs yeah. about Jane was great. That was uh, that had so many singles on it. That's what I'm saying. And that was like all of that was all of them writing it like together. Yeah. Um, I guess that validates it, what I was saying of they were like a band and then they became like a glorified uh, solo project, maybe, but not to yeah. get you into trouble here. If you know them, I don't want the you fuck, to like, man, there's sort of what like an AI fuck? that kind of takes the billboard charts and like morphs into it, which is interesting in its own way. I want to talk shit about everything that you guys bring up to me, but not Maroon 5. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we should wrap it up anyway of, uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like we had a good, 
good conversation here. Yeah, we got some family advice in. We uh, we went through the Billboard charts. Yeah, now everyone knows what's number one on the chart. That's what people listen to this show for, to find out what's number one. <laughs> yeah, the chart show. Guys, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, 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 10 years after my first, my, my only number one. Thank you. <laughs> the next number one's coming soon from your son, and your brother-in-law, <laughs> yeah. Uptown Funk 2, keep your ears peeled, guys. In 20 years, when Tom Bryan gets to that song in the number ones column, we'll have both of you on. And if yeah. he says something rude about it, you can argue. Uh, the year is 2026. Uh, the Billboard chart number one is John Acapinti's Listen to the DHS Man. <laughs> He's got like some kind of cyborg body that keeps him alive. Yeah, his brain is just in like a studio console. He's just churning <laughs> out hundreds of songs a second. His He's brain's in some like with the rack mount uh, vocoder with a ton of tremolo. <laughs> but yeah, uh, thanks for being here, Nate. Guys, thank you so much for thank you so much for having me. I um I, I'm very uh, flattered to be on the show. So thank you. Dude, thanks for coming on. Yeah, we'll have you back. Uh, 